Chapter 21 of Journey to the Center of the Earth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dave K. of Southern Minnesota. Chapter 21 Under the Ocean. By the next day we had nearly forgotten all our past sufferings. The first sensation I had experienced was surprise at not being thirsty, and I actually asked myself the reason. The running stream which flowed in rippling wavelets at my feet was the satisfactory reply. We breakfasted with a good appetite, and then drank our fill of the excellent water. I felt myself quite a new man ready to go anywhere my uncle chose to lead. I began to think. Why should not a man as seriously convinced as my uncle succeed, with so excellent a guide as worthy Hans, and so devoted a nephew as myself? These were the brilliant ideas which now invaded my brain. Had the proposition now been made to go back to the summit of Mount Snaefels, I should have declined the offer in a most indignant manner. But fortunately there was no question of going up. We are about to descend farther into the interior of the earth. Let us be moving, I cried, awakening the echoes of the old world. We resumed our march on Thursday at eight o'clock in the morning. The great granite tunnel, as it went round by sinuous and winding ways, presented every now and then sharp turns, and in fact all the appearance of a labyrinth. Its direction, however, was in general toward the southwest. My uncle made several pauses in order to consult his compass. The gallery now began to trend downwards in a horizontal direction, with about two inches of fall in every furlong. The murmuring stream flowed quietly at our feet. I could not but compare it to some familiar spirit guiding us through the earth, and I dabbled my fingers in its tepid water, which sang like a naiad as we progressed. My good humor began to assume a mythological character. As for my uncle, he began to complain of the horizontal character of the road, his route, he found, began to be indefinitely prolonged, instead of sliding down the celestial ray, according to his expression. But we had no choice, and as long as our road led toward the center, however little progress we made, there was no reason to complain. Moreover, from time to time the slopes were much greater. The naiad sang more loudly, and we began to dip downward in earnest. As yet, however, I felt no painful sensation. I had not got over the excitement of the discovery of water. That day and the next we did a considerable amount of horizontal, and relatively little vertical, traveling. On Friday evening, the 10th of July, according to our estimation, we ought to have been thirty leagues to the southeast of Reykjavik, and about two leagues and a half deep. We now received a rather startling surprise. Under our feet there opened a horrible well. 
My uncle was so delighted that he actually clapped his hands as he saw how steep and sharp was the descent. Ah, ah, he cried in rapturous delight. This takes us a long way. Look at the projections of the rock. Ha! he claimed. It's a fearful staircase. Hans, however, who in all our troubles had never given up the ropes, took care so to dispose of them as to prevent any accidents. Our descent then began. I dare not call it a perilous descent, for I was already too familiar with that sort of work to look upon it as anything but a very ordinary affair. This well was a kind of narrow opening in the massive granite of the kind known as a fissure. The contraction of the terrestrial scaffolding, when it suddenly cooled, had been evidently the cause. If it had ever served in former times as a kind of funnel through which passed the eruptive masses vomited by Snaefels, I was at a loss to explain how it had left no mark. We were, in fact, descending in a spiral, something like those winding staircases in use in modern homes. We were compelled every quarter of an hour, or thereabouts, to sit down in order to rest our legs. Our calves ached. We then seated ourselves on some projecting rock with our legs hanging over, and gossiped while we ate a mouthful, drinking still from the pleasantly warm running stream which had not deserted us. It is scarcely necessary to say that in this curiously shaped fissure the Hansbach had become a cascade to the detriment of its size. It was still, however, sufficient and more for our wants. Besides, we knew that, as soon as the declivity ceased to be so abrupt, the stream must resume its peaceful course. At this moment it reminded me of my uncle, his impatience and rage, while when it flowed more peacefully I pictured to myself the placidity of the Icelandic guide. During the whole of two days, the 6th and 7th of July, we followed the extraordinary spiral staircase of the fissure, penetrating two leagues farther into the crust of the earth, which put us five leagues below the level of the sea. On the 8th, however, at twelve o'clock in the day, the fissure suddenly assumed a much more gentle slope, still trending in a southeast direction. The road now became comparatively easy, and at the same time dreadfully monotonous. It would have been difficult for matters to have turned out otherwise. Our peculiar journey had no chance of being diversified by landscape and scenery. At all events, such was my idea. At length, on Wednesday the 15th, we were actually seven leagues, twenty-one miles, below the surface of the earth and fifty leagues distant from the mountain of Snaefels, though, if the truth be told, we were very tired, our health had resisted all suffering, and was in a most satisfactory state. Our traveler's box of medicaments had not even been opened. My uncle was careful to note every hour the indications of the compass, of the manometer, and of the thermometer, all of which he afterwards published in his elaborate philosophical and scientific account of our remarkable voyage. 
he was therefore able to give an exact relation of the situation. When, therefore, he informed me that we were fifty leagues in a horizontal direction distant from our starting point, I could not suppress a loud exclamation. "'What is the matter now?' cried my uncle. "'Nothing very important. Only an idea has entered my head,' was my reply. "'Well, out with it, my boy.' "'It is my opinion that if your calculations are correct, we are no longer under Iceland.' "'Do you think so?' "'We can very easily find out,' I replied, pulling out a map and compasses. "'You see,' I said, after careful measurement, "'that I am not mistaken. "'We are far beyond Cape Portland, "'and those fifty leagues to the southeast "'will take us into the open sea.' "'Under the open sea!' cried my uncle, "'rubbing his hands with a delighted air. "'Yes!' I cried. "'No doubt old ocean flows over our heads.' "'Well, my dear boy, what can be more natural?' Do you not know that in the neighborhood of Newcastle there are coal-mines which have been worked far out under the sea? Now my worthy uncle, the professor, no doubt regarded this discovery as a very simple fact, but to me the idea was by no means a pleasant one. And yet when one came to think the matter over seriously, what mattered it whether the plains and mountains of Iceland were suspended over our devoted heads, or the mighty billows of the Atlantic Ocean. The whole question rested on the solidity of the granite roof above us. However, I soon got used to the ideal, for the passage now level, now running down, and still always to the southeast, kept going deeper and deeper into the profound abysses of Mother Earth. Three days later, on the 18th of July, on a Saturday, we reached a kind of vast grotto. My uncle here paid Hans his usual rix dollars, and it was decided that the next day should be a day of rest. End of chapter